Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 11. Scripture reading this morning is going to be Luke chapter 11, uh, verses 45 through 54. And if you're using one of the uh, Blue Pew Bibles, you will find uh, Luke 11, uh, verse uh, 45 on page 870. If you were here last week, you'll recognize these as the verses we began looking at last Sunday. And you may remember that they are actually the second half of a narrative we began looking at a few weeks ago. A narrative that began in verse 37 when Jesus was invited uh, to a party at the house of a Pharisee. And in this narrative, Jesus has been teaching us something about the nature of true obedience, about what it means to hear and keep. The word of God in the first part of the narrative, he showed us that uh, the, the obedience that he desires is not the obedience of the Pharisees. It is it is not that ritual focused external only obedience that the Pharisees thought was the measure of true righteousness. In the verses before us this morning, he is going to continue to show us that nor is the obedience he's after the obedience of the lawyers. For the lawyers twisted and uh, perverted the true purpose and intention of the law. And so let us hear what Jesus has to say uh, to these lawyers, uh, beginning at verse 45. Listen to this. This is the very word of God. One of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. And he said, Woe to you lawyers also. For you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them, and you build their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute. So that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. Woe to you lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves and you hindered those who were entering. As he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something that he might say. That is the reading of God's word. Let us pray and ask for his blessing upon our study here this morning. Father God, this is your word. By it we have been born again, and by it we grow up in our salvation. And so, Father God, we ask and we pray that you would attend to the reading and the preaching of your word here this morning, that you would pour out your spirit, that you would fill us to overflowing, that we might receive your words, that we might be renewed and transformed by them, that we might bring forth their fruit in our lives, all to the praise of your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As I said, this is the first Sunday 
of Lent. And I would not be surprised if some of you didn't know that until you got here this morning and and read the cover of your bulletin. Uh, We don't tend to focus on the liturgical calendar around here. We we remember Palm Sunday and Easter and, and Advent. But besides that, we don't really follow the calendar. And so it's likely that many of you had no idea that this was the first Sunday of Lent. It's also likely that many of you don't really know what Lent is all about. And traditionally, Lent is a time of preparation. It is a 40-day period leading us up to Easter. It is, is a period that is meant to prepare us to enter in fully to the celebration of Easter, to the celebration of our Lord's resurrection for our justification. And the focus of that preparation is repentance. As we prepare to come and celebrate Easter, we Consider our sins. We consider our sins for which he was delivered up. The sins that that made it necessary for him to come and die. And as only as we remember our sins, it is only as we remember that we are justly condemned. It is only that we remember that, that if we stood before God on our own, that we would not stand. For what does the psalmist say? Lord, if you counted iniquities, who could stand? We would all be excluded. It is only as we remember our desperate need... That we are truly prepared to hear the good news of Easter. Now the reason why most Reformed churches do not celebrate the liturgical calendar, the reason they don't follow that calendar is because we believe that every Sunday ought to be, in a sense, Lent. And every Sunday ought to be, in a sense, Easter. Every Sunday ought to be a time where we remember our sins. And every Sunday ought to be a time when we rejoice in what Jesus has done for us. And so the reformers took the whole liturgical calendar and they turned it into one service, a service that we still follow here today. You may not feel like our service is all that liturgical, but it is. We, we follow this gospel logic each and every Sunday. As we come into the presence of our great God, we remember who he is. We remember that he is worthy of our praise. And then we acknowledge, as Isaiah did in the presence of God, that we are sinners undone apart from his grace. And so we confess our sins and we hear the good news of the gospel and we praise him for what he has done and we commit ourselves to following him and we submit to the reading and the preaching of his word that we might be nourished and and fed to grow up in that salvation and to bring forth its fruit in our lives. That is the logic of our service every Sunday. And so we don't want to say, well, there's only one time of year when you remember your sins and there's only one time of year when you celebrate the resurrection. There's only one time of year when you remember that, that Jesus came. And so we don't tend to put a lot of focus on the liturgical calendar. But despite the fact that we celebrate this each week, it's not bad to have a a time set apart in the annual calendar to be reminded of what we far too easily forget. And so we, as just a reminder, kind of wrote on the front of the bulletin this week, hey, this this is Lent. This is a time where we begin thinking about and begin preparing for Easter. And while we're not going to deviate from our regular pattern, we're going to, our services are pretty much going to look the same as we continue to go through this season. In fact, we're going to continue just marching right through Luke's gospel. Nevertheless, what you notice is that when you preach the gospel, it's terribly appropriate for Lent. And so our text this morning is actually a good text for this time of year. Because in this text, Jesus is teaching us what it means to hear and keep the Word of God. He, he is teaching us what the true obedience that He desires looks like. And he's, he's showing us this by way of contrast with the Pharisees and the lawyers. He is showing us that the false obedience of the scribes and the Pharisees is not the obedience that He is after. 
but rather that He has something else in mind entirely. So let me remind you of how we got here, because we come to the end of this section this morning. So let's, let's remember what we've seen as we've worked our way through this second half of Luke chapter 11. It really began in verse 14 when Jesus cast a, a mute spirit out of a man, and, and the man began to speak. We don't know how long he had been oppressed. We don't know longer how long he had been silent, but this man who was known to be mute suddenly began praising God. And when the people saw it, they marveled. They were amazed that he had been set free from this demonic oppression. But while they were amazed, while they were impressed, not everybody was willing to acknowledge the significance of what they had seen. In fact, some in the crowds even accused Jesus of being in league with Satan. They said that it is by the power of Beelzebul that that he drives out demons. Others in the crowd weren't quite that bold. They weren't ready to accuse Jesus of being in league with Satan, but at the same time, they weren't ready to bow the knee either. And so they said, well, maybe we need some more evidence. Maybe we should see some more signs before we decide. And Jesus looked at the crowd and he looked at those who were accusing him of, of being one of Satan's servants and those who were just sort of saying, well, we don't know yet. He said, I want you to know that, that as different as these two groups look to you, to me, they look the same. Because if you are not with me, you are, not, you are against me. If you do not stand with me, if you do not acknowledge me as your king, then you stand against me and you stand against all of my claims. The one who is not with me is against me. And Jesus went on to show us that that decision, that decision whether we are going to be with or whether we are going to be against, is really the most important decision we will ever face. Because it is the decision that, determ- that determines our eternal Destiny. Those who stand against Jesus, those who defer the question and demand further evidence, Jesus says that the people of Nineveh will rise up on that day and condemn them. For they should have known. They had seen enough evidence. And they should have bowed the knee to Jesus. And so it's an important decision. It's the most important decision will ever face. And so we're, we're faced with the question, well, then what does it mean? What does it mean to be with Jesus? And he himself tells us, he says that it is the one who is truly blessed, the one who is truly with me, is the one who hears and keeps my word. But who hears and keeps my word, the word of God. This is the one who is with me. This is the one who is truly blessed. And so the question comes, What does that mean? What does it mean to hear and keep the Word of God? And this is exactly the question that Jesus is addressing as he is at this dinner party with the Pharisees and the lawyers. And the first thing he tells us is that hearing and keeping the Word of God does not look like the obedience of the Pharisees. We we saw this in verses 37 through 44. Jesus says that the the obedience of the Pharisees is is a merely external obedience. It is a ritual focused obedience. It seems that the the Pharisees thought of obedience as as subscription to this strict code is that when their lives adhered, when their lives followed this this code of washings and of tithes and of fasts and of prayers, when they did these things, then they were righteous. Then they stood right with God. They failed to understand that the very essence of the law was love. They failed to understand that the externals were were meant to be a reflection of an internal reality. That that true fulfillment of the law is loving God with all your heart and loving your neighbor as yourself. And therefore they tithed even on their herb garden. But they neglected what Jesus elsewhere calls the weightier matters of the law. They, They neglected justice and mercy and 
faithfulness. So Jesus said, woe to you. Your obedience is not pleasing to the Lord more than that it is an abomination in His sight. Because while you conform to this external code, your hearts are full of greed and wickedness. As we saw, Jesus' rebuke of the Pharisees is instructive to us today, and especially instructive to those of us who who tend to think of righteousness or of godliness in terms of certain religious practices. If you think that you're standing before God, if you think that your Christian life consists of of tithing and church attendance, maybe it's daily devotions or, or prayers before meals, if you think that your life consists in those externals, then Jesus reminds you that What he calls for is a deeper obedience. God desires us to give as alms those things that are within. He desires that that we devote our hearts to his service by devoting our lives to the service of our neighbors, especially those who are most in need, especially those who have the least resources. And so the first thing that Jesus shows us at this dinner party is that true obedience is not like the obedience of the Pharisees. But no sooner has he said this than the lawyers start taking offense. And so Jesus turns to them and says, you know what? The obedience I want is not like your obedience either. We see this in verses 45 through 44, the verses that I read this morning. The lawyers, they were the ones who were the scribes. They were the ones who were the teachers of Israel. They were the ones who were given the job of teaching the people how to keep the law. And yet Jesus says their law-keeping is not what God desires. In the first woe, Jesus rebukes the lawyers for their legalism. He rebukes them for loading the people with burdens hard to bear. As we saw last week, for, for teaching that the law is a covenant of works, that it is something we must do in order to earn God's favor, something that we must do in order to earn or merit His Blessing. Jesus said the law, if it's taught as a covenant of works, is a burden that no one can bear. It is a law that crushes all who take it up. For we are all sinners, unable in our own strength to keep the law. But Jesus came to set us free from the law as a covenant of works. He, he came to give rest to those who are heavy laden. He still has a yoke for us. He still calls us to obedience. But it is the obedience of faith. It is the obedience that that comes and flows out of recognizing who Jesus is and and what He has done for us. It is an obedience that that flows out of a recognition that He is a good, good Master. That he, He is one who truly desires our good and one who has set us free that we might walk in obedience to Him. We do not obey in order to earn His favor. We obey because in His favor He has set us free. And so Jesus' first woe reminds us, reminds us that, that we should not turn the law into a covenant of works. But not only does Jesus rebuke the lawyers for turning this into a covenant of works, He also re- rebukes them for actually creating loopholes, for finding ways around the law. He says that while they load people with burdens hard to bear, they themselves do not touch the burdens with one of their fingers. They offer no real help to those whom they have saddled with the burden of the law. Because when they instruct people how to keep the law, they're actually teaching them how to break it. 
And so again, I say this rebuke, as we saw last week, is instructive to us. Because there is in every human heart a tendency to legalism, a tendency to think that we have to earn God's favor. And the moment that you start thinking with a legalistic mindset is the moment that you start trying to evade the law. Trying to get around it. Trying to, to, to find ways to do what you want to do while still being counted as a lawkeeper. And Jesus said, such foolishness is not the obedience that I desire. True obedience is, is not external or ritual, but an expression of heartfelt love. True obedience is not legalistic. It's not about earning favor, but it's about expressing faith. And true obedience is, is not about evading the law by obeying its letter, but it's about receiving the spirit of the law as the blessing that God intended. This then brings us to Jesus' second woe, where we come this morning in our text. And, and the flow of thought just simply continues. Jesus is showing us what true obedience is. He's shown us that it's not external. It's, it's not legalistic. It's not about loopholes. And now he's going to tell us that it's not about paying lip service to the prophets, but about truly receiving their word. Look with me at Jesus' second woe there in verse 47. Jesus says, Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. Woe to you for building the tombs of the prophets. Now, what were the Pharisees and the, and the lawyers doing when they built the tombs of the prophets? They were, they were building monuments to these men of, of the Old Testament. And I can tell you that when they built these tombs, they did not build them with the intention of, of sort of consenting to their murder. They're not saying, oh, how glad we are that our forefathers killed these prophets. That's, that's not what they were trying to do. It's not what they intended at all. But on the contrary, the, the lawyers would, would build these tombs of the prophets in order to honor them. It's not dissimilar to what we do with soldiers in, in battle. When, when a, a soldier dies in battle or when we lose uh, many of our young men in a, in a particular war, we will build a monument to honor their sacrifice. We will build a, a monument to help us remember what they gave for us. And that's exactly what the lawyers thought that they were doing. They thought that they were honoring these Old Testament prophets by building their tombs. But Jesus says that God sees it much differently. God looks at these tombs and he says the tombs are witnesses against you. The tombs testify that you actually were with your fathers when they did it. Your, your tombs, they, they testify that you consent to the deeds that they did. They, could, they testify that if you would have been there, whether it was in the days of Abel or whether it was in the days of Zechariah or any of the other prophets, if you would have been there, you would have murdered them too. But how does Jesus reach that conclusion? If that's not what the lawyers meant, if that's not what they thought they were saying, why does Jesus say that that's what he sees when he looks at the tombs of the prophets? Why does God regard these monuments so differently than the Lord's. Well, Jesus tells us in verse 49. Look there with me. Jesus says, Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation. Now that's a somewhat 
cryptic statement, but I think we can get at what Jesus is saying. When he speaks about the wisdom of God, he is speaking about God himself. That's why the NIV says, God in his wisdom. God in his wisdom says, I will send them prophets and apostles. Now, he's not quoting an Old Testament passage here, but he's, but he's quoting a rather present Statement of God. This is what God is saying about this generation. God is saying to Jesus, I will send them prophets and apostles and they will kill and persecute those prophets and apostles. And when they do, they will show themselves to be one with those who killed the prophets and the apostles in every generation. From the beginning when Cain killed Abel all the way to when Zechariah was killed in the temple court. In other words, Jesus is saying that the the lawyers, while they pay lip service to the prophets of old, while they claim to honor them, their response to God's prophets here and now, their response to God's prophets in the present, shows that their lip service is hollow, shows that it, it means nothing, shows that really they stand with their forefathers over and against the prophets that God has sent to his people. Their present reaction reveals the true nature of their heart. And we see their present reaction at the end of this passage, do we not? Look with me at verses 53 and 54. How do the Pharisees and the scribes respond to Jesus, the ultimate prophet? We're told that as he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees repented in dust and ashes. No, that's not what it says. As he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees, what? They began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, not so that they could learn from his great wisdom, but that they might catch him. They were lying in wait for him, trying to catch him in something that he might say. They totally rejected Jesus, the ultimate prophet. They would later reject his apostles whom he would send in his place. And not only do they reject him, but when they wouldn't be quiet, eventually they will Kill them. Tradition tells us that all but one of Jesus' apostles would be martyred. And of course, Jesus himself would be crucified. And so what is Jesus telling us here? What is, what is Jesus telling us as he, as he rebukes the lawyers for building the tombs of the prophets? He is, he is telling us that these lawyers are condemned, that they are rebuked for claiming... For claiming to honor God's prophets, for claiming to to honor God's word, but for actually rejecting his messengers. For paying mere lip service to the words of God, while actually rejecting those words outright. Again, I think it's a warning that is apropos for many of us today. We must be on our guard against those who claim to teach God's people the words of God, who claim to teach God's people how to honor and serve Him, but who, in fact, reject the words of His messengers. Because we are told that such teachers will be counted among those who kill the prophets. The blood of all the prophets will be charged against them. And I think this applies to many Today, Unfortunately, there are many today who claim to teach God's word, but who do not submit to his word. 
We have many examples. We have those who, who claim to be churches, who claim to be teaching the people of God how to serve and, and honor God, and yet, nevertheless, reject His Word on any number of issues. There are those who reject His, his Word about sexuality, and we think immediately of, of the, the homosexual agenda today and how they, they reject the Word of God. Even those who call themselves churches reject the Word of God and say, we will do it our way. But it's not just the, the homosexual agenda. It is across the whole front of, of sexual ethics. Just this week, I, I read an article that referred to premarital sex as the respectable sin of this generation. It's, it's almost no longer considered taboo. It is just normal. It is just expected, even among those in churches. And the churches remain silent. There are many of course, it's not just in the realm of, of sexuality, but it's also in, in realms of theology as well. There are those today who claim to be churches, who, who claim to, to be teaching God's Word, and yet contrary to Scripture, teach that God will not judge sin, but that God accepts all people as they are. There are other churches that claim to be churches and yet reject the idea that no name has been given under heaven by which men must be saved except that of Christ. They say, no, that can't be right. We all worship the same God. And I say to you, be on your guard against such teachers. For they claim to stand on the authority of Scripture. They claim to submit to God's Word and questions of faith and practice. And yet, they reject the words of the prophets. But of course, those are the easy targets for us, are they not? Those are the ones who, who are out there. Those are the ones where we can sort of point the finger and say, well, they're not following God's word. But what about us? Where are we tempted to do this same sort of thing? Where does this warning hit closer to home? I wonder if there are some among us who are quick to claim God's teaching. Maybe some husbands among us who are quick to claim God's teaching on male headship. And yet slow to remember that he says, lay down your life for your bride. I wonder if there are others among us who are quick to use the Bible to prove that our enemies are wrong. But slow to remember that it says, do not return evil for evil. Or slow to remember that it says, keep no record of wrong." I wonder if there are some among us who are quick to use Scripture to prove that our, our leaders are, are not the men they should be, and yet slow to remember what it says about honoring even Caesar and praying for those in power. Jesus condemned the lawyers. He, he condemned them for paying lip service to the prophets while ignoring what they actually said. That is not the sort of obedience that Jesus desires or demands. And so therefore, we must be on our guard. We are a people who are confessionally committed to the authority of God's Word, and that is right. We teach our children that, that God's Word is the final rule for, for all questions of faith and practice. If you want to know what you are to believe concerning God, if you want to know what duty God requires of man, we go to the Word, for it is in the Word that we find the words of life. It is in the Word that we find uh, the everlasting truth. But may we not be like the lawyers who simply pay lip service to those things and then go our own way. We, we must actually stand upon the Word. This is Jesus' point. He said it's not enough just to have your, your theology in order. You must actually live it out. You must actually be people who submit to the Word in questions of faith 
in practice. Because when we fail to do this, when we fail to honor our own confession, we become like the Lord's. And not only do we bring judgment upon our own heads, but we actually bring judgment upon others as well. Notice what Jesus says in verse 52. In Jesus' final woe, he, he rebukes the lawyers for claiming to be teachers of knowledge, but actually rejecting knowledge and actually hindering others from obtaining it. He says, woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves and you hindered those who were entering. Think about that. Have you ever been locked out? Have you ever had that experience? Maybe you locked yourself out of your car. Maybe you've locked yourself out of your house. I know some of you have actually had that experience here at the church. You, you show up for some event and the person with the key hasn't shown up yet, so you're just sort of stuck in the parking lot. Uh, there's been a number of occasions where I've shown up and there's been sort of a party going on in the parking lot where everyone's just sort of hanging out, waiting for someone with a key to get here. That's the experience that Jesus is, is saying. He says, listen, you, know, you, you claim to be the ones with the key. You claim to be the ones who can let people in, who can, who can bring them in to true knowledge of who God is. And yet, you're not entering yourself and you're actually hindering others from coming in. You are not only rejecting knowledge for yourselves, but you are preventing other people from coming to know truly the God who has spoken and so he says, if we, would, if we would not be locked out, we must avoid teachers like these lawyers. We must avoid those who turn the law into a covenant of works. We must avoid those who, who invent ways around the law. Ways of keeping the law, sort of, but actually doing what you want. We must avoid those who merely pay lip service to the prophets, but who reject their actual words. Because Jesus says, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. That's what faith looks like. That's how faith expresses itself. Faith expresses itself in obedience. But that obedience is not an external ritual obedience. It is not conformity just to a few codes. It is, it is not a, an effort to earn God's favor. It is, it is not legalistic self-righteousness. It is, it is not a, a, an attempt to evade the true intent of the law, but rather the obedience that Jesus demands, the obedience that, that Jesus calls for is an obedience from the heart. An obedience motivated by a true love for God and a, and a delight in His Word and a, and a desire to serve your neighbor. An obedience that, that recognizes that the words of the prophets, even when they're uncomfortable, even when they correct, even when they rebuke, are the words of life and we must receive them. Such is the obedience that Jesus calls us to. Such is the obedience of faith. You want to know what it means to deny yourself and follow Christ? You want to know what it looks like to, to believe in Him? It looks like this. It looks like this sort of obedience that Jesus is describing. This faith doesn't earn for us life, but it expresses the faith that receives the gift that has been purchased with the blood of Christ. The Pharisees and the, the lawyers, they could not accept Jesus' rebuke. They, they, they could not accept that this was the obedience that they should offer. Instead, they redoubled their efforts to destroy Him. The question we must ask ourselves this morning is simply this. How will we respond? How will you respond to Jesus' challenge? My prayer is that God would grant us the grace to receive His words as the good news that they really are. 
that He calls us to the obedience of faith. But as He says in Matthew, it is a light burden. It is an easy yoke. The hard work's been done. It's been done by Him. He has already purchased the blessing. We now simply walk in the footsteps of faith that we might experience the full joys of what He has bought and paid for. And because He calls us to that sort of obedience, that's why we call even this good news. Do you believe that? Pray with me. Father God, indeed we ask that You would open our eyes to see more clearly the obedience that You call for. Father, protect us from legalism. Protect us from uh, casuistry. Protect us uh, from hypocrisy. Protect us from paying lip service to the prophets while we, we go our own way, Father. But grant us that true humility, that true faith that receives Your words as good news. Father, I pray that as we see Christ, as we see Him as our Savior, as we see Him as the One who has fulfilled the law for us, we would hear as good news the call to now walk in obedience to that same law. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.